Welcome to Cities Church. If you're gathered with us in this room, welcome. Out the lobby, we see you out there online. So glad to have you. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. And man, what an exciting season it's been in the life of our church. It's been a, a full week. I'm sure many of you traveling like I did. It's hard to believe it's only been seven days since our commitment weekend. Kind of the capstone of our forward series. And what a special time it was in the life of our church. I really love that we're able to do it together. So I loved with getting my kids and we walked together, you know, up to the front and really try to make it a family thing, as many of you know, I know did as well. And then as we were walking forward, just seeing different people were doing life together. Just such a unique experience saying, yes, we are joining together to move forward into what God has for this church. What a special season it has been. I know for many of you, it's not only special, but it's filled fast and full. Maybe you felt this way, and all I have. We've been sprinting, right? We've been going. We've been sprinting. That's why in this next series, we want to try to slow down. We've been looking forward to what the Lord's going to do and, and how we want to learn and grow and how we want to reach and strive. But we want to use this series to remind us that the only way we can move forward is if we focus on communion with Christ. The only way we can get there is if we focus in right here. As if we strive to make room in the chaos. And that's why we're doing a series on spiritual disciplines. These habits, these rhythms, these routines, these things we do that the Spirit uniquely uses and works um, to join us closer to and make us look more like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They're what people in the past have called means of grace. Means of grace, things through which God has committed to transform his people. So when we do these things, we know we're in the path of the Spirit for transformation to look like Christ. Primarily, that's when we gather together as a church under the word that's preached, as we gather together as a church under celebrating baptism and the Lord's Supper. But also secondarily, there are disciplines, spiritual disciplines, things, rhythms, habits we can do by ourselves to be transformed into Christ-likeness. So we're going to spend these next few weeks talking about some of these things. We're going to talk about Bible intake, what it is, how you do it, and why. We're going to talk about rest and uh, Sabbath. We're going to talk about silence and solitude. And today we're going to talk about everybody's favorite, fasting. Oh, the irony, right? Coming together after Thanksgiving, more on that in a second. But again, we are going to strive forward with this discipline, yes, to look more like our Lord and Savior. And if you're like me, maybe you've grown up in church or maybe you've been around church people long enough. And if you're honest, you haven't really heard any sermon or any talk about fasting. I know I didn't. I think the only time I really thought about it is when I was hanging around with a Catholic friend and he was going into Lent. He was going to give up Call of Duty or something for Lent. And I don't think it's a coincidence. There's, there's, a, there's a, an author who writes on these disciplines. This author says that in his research, over a 100-year period, from 1850 to about 1950, over those 100 years, there's not a single book written on Christian fasting. For some reason, even though it's in Scripture, for some reason, even though it seems Jesus assumes it'll be part of our life, for some reason, even though generations of the church has practiced it, somewhere along the line, we've forgotten to fast. Not only is the church forgotten, and we're not saying too much about it, but now it's actually like picking up steam. It's becoming a thing, isn't it? With intermittent fasting. I told you there's no books written in 100 years. I just typed fasting in Google, enter. There's 30 books that came up 
about the health benefits of intermittent fasting. Apparently, if you schedule when you eat and when you don't eat, you know, it can prevent cancer and I don't know, any number of things. It's, it's incredible. But we're really excited about the health benefits of this thing called intermittent fasting. We're not thinking of it as a spiritual discipline. This is not just about the body alone. Not just how we can benefit from it physically. It's about the heart. It's about the posture and position of our heart. It's about our relationship with Christ. Fasting, as we will see, is about saying no to something. Usually that's food. It could be any number of things. Saying no to something so we can say yes to the main thing. It's about not filling up on junk so that we can go expectingly um, to be filled up by the word. Or it's about cutting through the fullness of life to make room for a relationship with God. Fasting is a way for us to make room for a relationship with God. Talking about all this fullness reminds me of Thanksgiving. I just want to say, I'm quite proud of myself. This Thanksgiving, I ate more food than I thought was otherwise humanly possible. I finally done it. There you go. It started out because my father-in-law decided one turkey wasn't enough. We need to get two turkeys. And he brought me with him to go to one house, get a big old smoked turkey. Woo, buddy. Go to another house and get a deep fried turkey. Wrap some Cajun season around that thing, deep fry it up, slice it, put it in a bin, whatever. And I'm riding back with both turkeys sitting in my lap. I'm like, well, might as well get a taste. And that taste turned into two, three, four, five more. And I think on estimate, I probably ate about half a pound of turkey before I got home. So I was already full before lunch happened. But that did not stop me from getting two full plates of food. And when I say plates, I mean them oval plates you bring out around Thanksgiving. I, want, I don't want like the little plate. I want the plate and a half oval plate, two full of them. And I've got a soft spot in my heart for sides, Thanksgiving sides. Anybody else with me? My favorite, sweet potato casserole. And somebody in my family brought the Mount Rushmore sweet potato casseroles. And I went back, count them, four times for four different helpings of this sweet potato casserole. Incredible. It was good every single time. <laughs> and then with all that food sitting around, you don't want it to go to waste, right? So throughout the day, I'm making those little sandwiches. You like slice a roll in half and slap some turkey on there and get you some uh, cranberry sauce. I ate like five or six. I don't know. But I mean, talk about being stuffed to the max. Just out of curiosity, I stepped on a scale at the end of the day. I'd gained nine pounds. <laughs> nine pounds. And it was incredible. But the weirdest thing happened. I was so stuffed full of food that I became like deadened to the world around me. Best way I can t talk about it, one, I was like sliding into the couch, right? Slinking down in, didn't even know people were talking around me. And I lost track of time. <laughs> Apparently, I, I let my body tell me, remind me when it's time to eat, right? So that's kind of my mom markers during the day so I can be focused at work. But then if you get hungry, it's about lunchtime. I had no concept of time. I'm like... Why is it dark outside? It's because it's 9 p.m. Where have you been? I'm like, when does dinner supposed to happen? Like, we already had it. It was a day or two later. I'm working on the sermon. I'm up, up in my study, kind of like pounding out. And my kids are on, Daddy, you ready for lunch? I'm like, lunch? When did breakfast happen? What time is it? She became like disoriented, deadened to, to reality. It's funny whenever we stuff ourselves so full of food, we get to that point. But it becomes a little more serious, a little more dangerous. What happens with our relationship with Christ? That we can become so stuffed full of stuff that we're deadened. This is what I mean by that. 
A couple weeks ago, I took my kids hiking at Hanging Rock. Great day. We were laughing. Just set them wild, in the wild, right? Just go for it. No rules. You know, mom's not here. Um, <laughs> we were in the car on the way back home. Hadn't eaten. Getting lunchtime. We're beyond. I'd missed a turn. We're going to be 15 minutes later, and I should have been. I'm already kind of edgy. You feel it coming. And then they started screaming. For whatever reasons five-year-old and three-year-olds do, they started screaming and hitting each other. And I'm telling you, something snapped. Snapped. And I lost it. And I yelled at them to the point where I scared myself. And I like, looked in the rearview mirror, and my little three-year-old daughter, like her lips started quivering. She just started crying. She's like, well, you know, just scared her half to death. I'm like, stop that crying! What are you, what's wrong with you, right? Well, when it eased out, I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. You know, daddy shouldn't have done that. Anyway, went our separate ways, tucked him in bed that night, turned off the lights, got myself ready for bed, and in the silence, it hit me. The spirit just pounded me with conviction. I'm just heavy on my heart, my soul. I'm like, gosh, what have I done? You know, my first thought was, where are my headphones? I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear your conviction, spirit. I don't want to think about my sin. I don't want to come face to face with reality. I want to stuff some noise in my ears so I can have my life at the full point always and forever so there is no room for you to speak to me. I fear that's what we've done with our lives. We've stuffed our lives full of so many things. Some, some ways it's sin, some ways it's just stuff. We'll get into it. But what we need to do is we need to make room. We need to make room for our relationship with Christ. And that's where fasting comes to play. We'll be in Deuteronomy chapter 8 today. Deuteronomy chapter 8, looking at the Old Testament. And the Lord teaches us something unique about our hunger. He teaches us that our hunger is a lesson. When we're hungry, it's a reminder that we're empty. And it's supposed to point us forward to our relationship with Christ. So let's read Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 1 to 3. I invite you to read along with me. You can follow on the screen or in your print or phone Bible, however you want to do it. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Moses said this to the nation of Israel, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you didn't know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I love verse one in this chapter. It gives us a picture, a beautiful picture of the life we're all looking for. Look at here, this beautiful vision. We see a picture of wholehearted obedience. What does he say? The whole commandment that I command you today, not just part of it, not just the parts that make sense to us, not just the parts that we remember, not just the parts that we care about. We are able to do all God desires. And how do we do it? Carefully, you shall be careful to do the whole commandment that all of your heart, all of who you are is committed to all of his heart. No longer torn between different desires, no longer prone to wander. 
but committed to him that you may live abundant life, fullness of life, and multiply so that all that we do prospers and step into his blessing to go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Step fully into God's plan and promise of freedom and fullness of life. And this is what we want, whether we know it or not. This is what we desire in the best of times. You know what I'm talking about whenever that nostalgic song comes on the radio. If you're watching some powerful movie or, I mean, even some emotional commercial. That's how you know you're getting old. You start crying at commercials. You're like, I don't even know why I'm crying. Something about that dog just struck a chord. Something about it just triggers something deep in your heart. Like, where did that come from? In the worst of times, this is what we want. I'm telling you that our desire for sin, what, what Satan takes and twists towards sin, that same desire is what was given to us by God for him and for him alone. And even those who don't believe are still plagued by this hunger, this longing, this desire. As one atheist author put it, we are all God-haunted. He begins one of his novels this way. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. We were created with a hunger, with a longing for God, but we stuff ourselves so full of stuff that we're dead into reality. Yes, some of that may be sin. As my youth pastor said, sin makes you stupid. So if you stuff yourself full of sin, you're going to be stupid. You're actually going to turn into some subhuman something, almost like a gargoyle. I don't know if you've ever been in that intervention situation where you have to finally step in when somebody's completely gone off the rails and you're looking at them like, what has happened to you? Sin's made them stupid. It's deadened them, twisted them, perverted them. You can do it to you. But also it can be just stuff, just things. Guys, how many hours do you spend a week watching sports on TV? Just start doing a, a, a quick tick in your mind. How many hours of week do you spend listening to people talk about the sports you watch on TV? What do you think? One point in my life? I don't know, 30? Seriously. Ladies, how many hours do you spend on social media? It's about that time of the week whenever the screen time thing pops up. You are up 30% from last week. Like, ooh, ouch. Maybe for you it's a hobby. Maybe for you it's traveling. Maybe for you it's, it's looking up some, some, some thing, somewhere, some something on the internet. Maybe it's video games. Maybe it's the overtime hours you work that you don't need to. I don't know what it is, but your life is so full. Your schedule is so busy. You have stuffed yourself to the point you are deadened to reality. You're just deadened to who God is and what he wants for you. What he wants to do in you and through you. So as Deuteronomy shows us, our hunger can be both a test and a triumph. Our hunger can be both a test and a triumph. That's how John Piper put it, and I think it's, it's helpful. It can be a test. Our hunger can reveal what's really in our hearts. But in Christ, we can use our hunger in fasting as a triumph to make room for a relationship with him. So let's look at that first part, how hunger can be a test. What does he say in verse 2? Moses is charging the nation of Israel to remember the whole way that they were led through the wilderness. Why? That God might humble you, 
testing you to know what was in your hearts. I thought God knows everything. What do you mean? Is he trying to figure something out? No, no, what was your mind in verse three? Actually, this all happened. That you might know. He gave them hunger. Why? To make you know, to bring to light, to remind you what's really in your heart, what's really going on underneath the surface of the water. And hunger humbles us. It humbles us. Because if we're honest, we can become quite impressed by ourselves, can't we? Like, well, I've done better in business than I expected, certainly better than my dad expected. You know, my kids, my kids have done a lot better than her kids. My gosh, you've had a play date with them. My retirement account's looking, you know, better than I thought it would. Man, my career path is just unfolding before me. I can conquer the world. We think we can conquer the world until we get hungry. And we are reminded of how empty we are. Think about this. How long can you make it in and of yourself if you walk out of this room and don't eat another bite? How much life do you have in yourself? What do you think? A month and a half? Maybe. About half of that, you're going to be starving to death. So maybe like three weeks of quality of living. How long can you make without water? handful of hours? That's how much life you have in yourself. That's how empty you are. So every time we get hungry, guess what we're doing? We're being humbled to remind us, I am empty. More than that, our hunger shows how dependent we are on someone or something else. If we're empty in ourselves, that means we have to look outside of ourselves. We've got to look to something else to give us life. Yes, physically, practically, that's food. But why is food, you know, designed the way it is? I think for the Lord to remind us each and every time that we have to look outside of ourselves for life. Even our eating, yes, even our hunger reminds us what? That man lives not on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Hunger also shows what's in our hearts. It tests us so that we know what's really going on in our hearts. Because deprivation is the clearest way to know what's inside a person. You take away food, and the smallest of things can set you off. Remember my story about the car ride back from uh, wherever, Hanging Rock? Yeah, I am the, the king of being hangry. Anybody hangry? You can, you can hit, your, hit your spouse by, hey, talking to you. Yeah, you're a little late to lunch. You're like, hey, sweetie, where do you want to go to lunch? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know where you want to go to lunch? Why do you always look to me? And it's like, dad's got crazy eyes again. <laughs> you know, we, we laugh about it. We think it's funny. And even Snickers has made it funny. You know, those that, uh, you're, not, you're not you when you're angry. You're, you're Betty White trying to play football or whatever else. We can laugh because it's the food's fault that we're that way. It's the food's fault because we didn't get enough of it or we haven't had it regularly. No, no. Jesus tells us the quite opposite. It's that when you're hungry, you are your most you. When finally all that stuff you've, you've piled up, when you're, you know, so often we live, we are well-fed, we're temperature-regulated. So, of course, we are who we want to be. But when that stuff's taken away, it shows what's left, the real you. How's Jesus put it? In Mark 7 and Matthew 15, both those places. Um, some people are coming up to him concerned. They're like, hey, did you know your disciples aren't washing their hands? 
So that's gross, number one. And number two, that's ceremonial, unclean. So that anything they touch, anything they eat with unwashed hands, that's going to make them unclean. Jesus is like, you don't understand the way this works. It's not something outside you that makes you unclean. It's what's deepest in you. He says this in verse 21 of Mark 7. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. And he goes on. When we get what we want, when we want it, it covers up what's really in our hearts. And when we are empty, who we really are comes out. We can pretend like it's the food's fault. Then we realize, no, there's actually a spirit of anger that's gotten a hold of us. Not only that, but hunger can reveal that in our hearts, deep within us, is a lack of trust for God. A lack of trust in God. Because the whole point of the letting them hunger was what? In verse 2, the Lord wanted to reveal, wanted to uncover whether they would keep his commandments or not. So after the miraculous exodus in Egypt, we're talking plagues, pillar of fire, staff, the whole nine yards. After all of that, the Lord wanted to know if they would trust him. Spoiler alert, they didn't. When they got hungry, they grumbled. This is my translation of Exodus 16, verse 2. We're starving. Take us back to Egypt. We'd rather just rewind all that Exodus stuff and just leave us where we were, God. Because at least then we got to have... Three meals a day with some snackies in between. Not only that, but he gave them miraculous provision. Gave them manna. What'd they do? They grumbled. Numbers 11, verse 6. All we ever see is this manna. Take us back to Egypt. No matter how much God had done, no matter how much he had given, their hunger showed what was in their hearts. Showed that really deep down they had turned their back on God. They had forsaken him. And they looked somewhere to something or someone else for life. And that is the pattern of their sin. And guess what? That's the pattern of our sin. So the prophet says in Jeremiah chapter 2, the Lord speaking through the prophet is looking back over the whole scope of the history of his people. And what does he say in verse 13 of Jeremiah 2? And my people have committed two evils. You know what evils is the root of all sin? Here it is. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed, that is like dug or built, hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Our God is in himself the fountain of life. And what have we done? In our desire. In our hunger, in our longing, we have turned our back on him and tried to find life somewhere else. I think it's time for some of us just to get real. We can play the spiritual game. We can impress our family. We can impress our friends. We can even impress ourselves. I'm doing pretty good. People should be impressed by me. But we need to cut through the stuff Take away the fluff and see what's at the heart. At the heart of it, we are turning our back on God. We are forsaking him. That's what sin is. It's not just some mistakes you make one time. No, it is a heart posture that you have turned and walked away from the living God. 
and you are striving in yourself to find life in anything and anyone and anywhere else other than him. Our hunger strips away all the stuff and reveals the condition of our heart. But there's good news. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Many of us may recognize that verse 3 of Deuteronomy 8. Man doesn't live by bread alone. We may recognize it not from Deuteronomy, but, but, but where? When Jesus was tempted. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, in the desert. Because he said it himself when he was hungry in the desert. Just like Israel, he was led by the Spirit to the desert. That he stayed 40 days to represent their 40 years. He was tested as they were. He hungered as they did. He was tempted to the point of shedding his own blood. He was emptied in the desert. And what was found? That he had a heart of obedience. Just like that promise of Deuteronomy 8 verse 1. It was found that Jesus, he alone is careful to do all of the commandments so that he alone is worthy of that Deuteronomy 8 fullness of life, that he and he alone has life in and of himself so that even though we all have been tested and have failed, even though we have all forsaken God and stuffed ourselves with junk, he offers us his life if we would only come to him. That's what he's saying in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus is talking about this Deuteronomy passage. He's talking about the story of God's people. And he is telling them what it really means. He's telling them the point. He's telling them what we should get out of it. What does he say? John chapter 6, verse 32. He says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, this is important. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Don't look to some person. Don't look to some ages past. For the verse 33, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Look here and look now. Look to the one who is speaking to you. What do they say? Well, give us this bread always. Like, where is it at? Right? You get looking around Jesus, trying to find it somewhere. Stop looking somewhere else, to someone else, to something else. Look to him, verse 35. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He himself is the word of life that comes from the mouth of God. He is the one through, through whom all things were made and the one for whom we all were made. And he is the one who has life and life to the full in himself. So when we come to Christ, we fully and finally taste that life we were created for. We fully and finally know the one to whom all longing, all hunger, all of our appetites point. In Christ, we fully finally know that nothing in this world will satisfy but him. That's why in Christ, fasting can be a triumph. In Christ, fasting can be a triumph. It's not about health benefits. 
I'm sure there may be some there. It is a spiritual discipline. It is a discipline, a habit, a rhythm, a practice that the Spirit uses to make us more into Christ's image. So what does the Spirit do when we fast? It triumphs and it grows us in self-control. In fasting, the Spirit grows us in self-control. If we're honest, some of us do not know how to say no. We don't know how to say no. Maybe it's to someone. Most often it's to something. We cannot do the hard thing even if we try, even if we want to. We are like what the Bible says, people whose God is their appetite, whose God is their belly. Your God is, is the, the person, the thing, the, the someone, the whatever. Your God is whoever calls the shots. Whatever, whoever you submit to. When push comes to, to shove, who do you give in to? Who do you trust? Who do you look to for life? And so often it's our appetite. We are controlled by our desire. And that's what sin looks like. Think back through with me, if you would. Adam and Eve. They knew what God had said. He said it clearly, multiple points. But whenever they saw that the fruit was good for food and a delight to the eyes, they didn't care. And they submitted to the God of their appetite and they took and they ate. Think about Esau. He knew of the promise of blessing that would come from God's people. He knew the promise of inheritance that would come from his father. Whenever he was hungry, and he saw that pot of stew, he didn't care. His God was his appetite, his desire. So he gave it all away to fill his belly. Even David. Think about David, who knew his special place in the life of God's people. Who knew his place as, as the king of Israel. Except what? In, in terms are very eerily similar to Adam and Eve. When he saw Bathsheba, that the woman was pleasing to his eyes, he took to feed his God, to feed his appetite in sin. More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. Your appetites, your desires, they say now and they say more. But when we fast, we respond and say, not now and no more. In Christ, fasting is a discipline the Spirit uses to grow and to flex your no muscle. Didn't know he had no muscle, did you? You go to the gym, we know this. We go to the gym, we got to isolate certain muscle groups, right? You got back day and leg day and whatever else day. That's why in high school, we all huddled around the, the free weights to do curls. Why? Because curls get the girls. We wanted to isolate that muscle group. You know, look good in our shirts or whatever else. Guess what? You got a no muscle. And some of us have never flexed that thing. We've never said no to whatever desire, whatever appetite, whatever, whatever it is. And in fasting, the Spirit uses that discipline to strengthen, to grow your no. Because all of life, these self-control issues are interconnected. Think about in Proverbs. Proverbs has statements that weave in and out of one another. You got statements about sex and money and food and sleep and the tongue. They're all interwoven. Why? Because they're all connected issues that deal with self-control. 
So if you are, and I'm safe to bet that we all are, dealing with sin that involves sex, money, food, sleep, and the tongue, if we're struggling saying no in any of those areas, you know how you grow your no? Through fasting. The Spirit uses it to work in you self-control in one area so that it can take root in other areas. Fasting grows us in self-control, and it also reminds us to live for God alone. Fasting reminds us to live for God alone. The reality is we live for whatever we think gives us life. I promise it's true. Whatever you think gives you life, you will work your schedule around, and you will, you will center either your time or your family's time on it. Sometimes we know what that it is. You know, here we go. I'll step on some toes, so pull your feet back. It, it blows my mind. Some younger guys with young kids, young families, who are full to the max, stressed out at work, full to the max with whatever schedule, uh, family schedule they got, but somehow they always find a way to spend six and a half hours on the golf course every weekend, or six and a half hours in the deer stand, or six and a half hours on their boat. Whatever you think gives you life, I promise you'll make time for that. Others, maybe it's your kid's academic or athletic accomplishment. Blows my mind that parents will regularly miss themselves and let their family miss church. Why? Well, there's just a lot of homework that's got to get done. We got another out-of-town tournament. We got to make it too. You check out your schedule. What are you sending your life around? Where do you think you find life? Other times we can't seem to find what that it is. Maybe that's your story. That you've got some hole, some longing in your heart, and you never can seem to fill it. Keep trying different things, different places, different people, different whatever else. Nothing can fill it. Reminds me, my wife and I, I've been watching a reality TV show here lately to feel a little better about ourselves. It's called uh, Hoarders. Anybody seen Hoarders? It's a great time. People that deal with, it's really a psychological issue, just this obsessive compulsive need to like accumulate and hoard stuff. These episodes are mind-blowing. They'll open the door, try to go in. In this one house, they had to climb over, ready, a six and a half foot pile of stuff. And like they're on their bellies and can barely fit underneath the door frame to get through to the next room. There's another house, it's a beautiful house somewhere in Pennsylvania, old home, beautiful. It's like four stories or no, maybe three, doesn't matter. But anyway, they pulled out of this three-story house 30 tons of stuff. That is four plus full dumpsters, construction dumpsters full of stuff. And the psychologist is there trying to help, you know, get the underlying issue. He's like, what is it that you think got you to this place, ma'am? And she said, you know, I just kept looking for that one special thing. She filled her house full of 30 tons of junk because she kept looking for that one special thing. Before we started laughing, that's what we do. You may be a little more neat and tidy, but I bet you we keep searching after, running toward, grasping for, trying to find that one special thing. If I can get that one more promotion, if I can get that new car, get that new house, get that new wife, new life, new whatever. 
In Christ, fasting is a reminder that we live for God alone, that we have life in him alone. Fasting is a reminder to make us know that we do not live by anything, anyone, anywhere, any stuff, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Our lives are so full. Our schedules are so busy, but I bet, I bet you make time for what you love. I bet you make time for what you live for. So quite practically, fasting is a way for us to make time. It's a way for us to make room for a relationship with God. Very practically, think about how much time you spend sitting around food. Let's take lunch, for example. Either you're at work, at home, running around, whatever else. Think about how much time you spend for lunch. Maybe it's sitting in the drive through line. Maybe it's ordering online. Maybe it's getting the food there, cleaning up after. How much time? 30 minutes? Reasonable estimate. 40 minutes? 45? Let's say 30. 30 minutes. You spend 30 minutes for, for lunch. Guess what? If you gave up one lunch a week, how much time do you have to uniquely devote to prayer and worship? You have 30 minutes. I, don't, I just don't have time to wake up in the morning for quiet time. I got to rush and get the kids and I've got to do this. And by the time I get bed, that's fine. In fasting, you make time. In fasting, you make room. Because you use that time you would have normally used for meal prep, for meal cleaning, whatever, with one meal or a day or however long. And throughout the day, whenever your hunger creeps up again, and it will, our stomachs are so used to them snackies, right? It's time for another snack. It's like, no, it's not. You're fine. Every time that hunger creeps up again, it's a reminder. That's a reminder to pray. Okay. I'm uniquely setting aside this time, this season for prayer, for devotion, for relationship with God. Fasting provides. Fasting is a way. It's a means, right? It is a practice of the presence of God. Fasting is a practice of the presence of God that you're saying no to something. Most often it's food. It could be any number of things. It could be any number of whatever you look to for life or whatever your, um, is your pacifier. You know what I'm talking about? Your pacifier, your baby starts crying, you pop a passy in. What's your pacifier? Whenever you find yourself downtime, maybe it's your phone, social media. I gotta get my, you know, we're in an elevator. You obviously can't look at anybody or talk to them, so let's get out our pacifier again. Maybe it's a podcast, like me. Whenever I'm, it's quiet, I'm like, ooh, I don't like quiet. Boop. Maybe it's the TV. I don't know. What's your pacifier? Where do you look to to kind of keep your life full of stuff, of noise, of something? Whether it's food or whether it's something, fasting is a way for us to say no to make time, to make room for a relationship with God. And that's where prayer comes in. Because prayer is the practice of a communion, of a relationship with God. That's our hope. That's our goal. That's our desire, to know him more. I think that's, I think that's what Jesus has in mind when he, he talks about Matthew 6, to, to do it in secret. It doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter about health benefits. It matters about transforming us more into the image of Christ his son and giving us more room and more time for a relationship with him. So I just want to challenge you. What do you regularly hunger for? What takes up your time? What can you set aside? I want to challenge you today 
to take your next step to make room for a relationship with Christ. Maybe for you, it's setting aside one meal. I found lunch is a great one. If I set aside a lunch, that means that I know I've got a 30-minute window I can spend in prayer and in devotion. Maybe for you, it's to set aside one week of something. I don't know, social media, TV, I don't know. Whatever your pacifier is. Start somewhere. Take your next step to make room, to flex your no muscle, and just see what the Spirit does. He will work in you and grow in you the life and desire for Christ. You know, we live in a society of excess, and guess what? It's the most materialistic time of the year. We're all spending so much time thinking about what we're going to buy, what we're going to give, what we're going to get, researching, planning, thinking. It's too full, was too full to begin with, and it certainly is too full now looking at our calendars. How are we going to make time? How are we going to set aside? What are we going to set aside to make room? Today, I just want to give you a space for personal prayer. In a moment, I just want to give you an opportunity to pray you and your heavenly father. What I want you to do is I want you to ask a question. I want you to ask, say, Father, what is the weight that is weighing me down? Or as the author of Hebrews says, what is the sin that is entangling me? Father, show me what is it that I'm holding on to, thinking it's my one special thing or hope of one special thing. I want you to ask the question, and then what I want you to do, and maybe it's even literally physically, I want you to open your hand and say, Father, I lay it down. I lay it aside. I cast it away. I put it down so that I can take hold of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are, I want you to ask the question, and I want you to lay it aside. Take the next few moments quietly. I'm always thankful that the Lord gives us sometimes our first step and sometimes our next step when we come to the table. So if you're there and you're wanting to know what your next step is to walk forward in your relationship with Christ, let me encourage you, your next step is to come to the table. Because this is a way for you to walk out for you to live out what you just prayed. I don't think it's a coincidence that when we come forward, we come with our hands empty. That is a reminder to you that you have nothing to bring to this equation. None of your accomplishments, none of your achievements, none of your hard work or effort adds to what Christ has done. If anything, you come forward in faith knowing you are empty but you come forward to be filled. Because every time we come forward and see the bread and we see the cup and we take and we eat, we are living out the truth that nothing in this world will satisfy nothing but the body and blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. When we come forward, we, are, we, we look through these elements to see him and him alone and know 
that when we are empty, he will fill us up by his spirit. Because he meets us here by his spirit. He feeds us here by his spirit. We come to him empty, knowing that he is the bread of life. But for some of us, it's our first step. When we see Ford, we see the table, and we, and we are reminded that we have never come to Christ. We really have never really believed in him. Our family has, our friends have. Somebody else wants us to. We even thought we did. Whatever it is. We are reminded in this moment that, we, that you have never looked to Christ alone for your life and your salvation. Today, you can take your first step. Instead of coming forward and, and, and taking hold of the thing, right? The bread, the cup. I want to challenge you. After service, come grab someone on staff. Come grab one of our prayer team members who will be on this wall here on the side. And say, you know what? I don't, I'm tired of the things. I want to take hold of Jesus by faith. Wherever we are, wherever we come from, we get to take our next step, or yes, even our first step, to make room for Christ. So I invite you to stand with me, if you would. You'll see behind me the stations that are available. Maybe your nearest station is up front. Maybe it's toward the back. In a moment after I pray, I want to invite you. When you're prepared, you can come. Make your way toward the center. Wherever you are, make your way toward the center. Go to your nearest station, even either forward or backward. Once you're there, you can tear a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. Or you can take a pre-packaged option also. Work your way back toward the outside and back to your seat. And whenever you <laughs> proclaim with your mouth and are ready in your heart, right? Proclaim that Jesus Christ is your life. You can take and eat and know that you are fed by his spirit. Let's pray together. Our Father, teach us that we're empty. If we're full of ourselves, empty us, Father. So we can come to you in a place of humble dependence. That we can look to you and to you alone for life. Help us to come and cast aside whatever we've been grasping for, reaching for. Help us to lay aside whatever we've been holding on to that has been weighing us down, entangling us. Help us to come with hands open, ready to take hold of life through your son, Jesus Christ. And may you give it anew by your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.